the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight. And uh, so much happening in this country. Friday night, a lot of people are getting ready for the weekend. I hope you have a great weekend. Man, I hope... I just hope we get closer. I guess it's a few weeks away that I just hope everybody starts playing sports instead of talking about it. I mean, I, I, I hate to, to be, I don't mean this to be too demeaning, but I, I don't really want to watch South Korean baseball anymore. I mean, I watched like, I watched one or two games, a little bit of them, and I've been watching old, uh, I've been, my, actually, my sons and I have been enjoying it. We've been watching uh, on YouTube, on the TV, on the television, the big TV. You can get YouTube. We have YouTube, and you can go back and get like, um, greatest games in uh, baseball history that's pretty fun but uh, now i'm ready to see some of this stuff start playing although I, you know anyway so and, and now we're all these all the talk about canceling seasons you know the the ivy league canceled their football season and and other things it's just it's just we need to get back to normal i i, I mentioned it yesterday we talked a lot about it you know we just got to get ourselves back to normal. It's the new normal. It's not going to be perfect, but we got to get going that direction. All right, so enough on that. Hey, later on in the program, I'm going to talk about an incredible man whose birthday is tomorrow, General Jack Singlob. When America uh, produces men like Jack Singlob, he turns 99 years old tomorrow. His wife, Joan, and him, they're a wonderful couple. Their daughter, Deborah, who is a great uh, care, great friend of caregiver to them and just a, 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 like a... I mean, what a daughter should be. She does a great job and is very kind. They're just wonderful people. So I'm going to tell you at the end of the program, I've got a whole segment on General Singlob and his book, which is called Hazardous Duty. It's a memoir written, I think, in the late 80s. He, had the mo- he has had the most extraordinary life. And I got to tell you one quick thing. I sat on his back deck of his home down in, in near Nashville, Tennessee, and it was General Jack Singlob and myself and John Schlafly and General Mike Flynn. And we sat there on the back deck and talked it, 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 you know, moments in time that you'll never uh, forget, never uh, forget the feeling of sitting there watching. And at some point, John Schlafly and I were kind of bystanders because it was General Flynn, you know, decorated general and General Singlob, decorated general. And they were talking. It was uh, pretty extraordinary. So, all right, let me um, make sure I want to say uh, best greetings. One of our listeners, I got a text uh, from her husband, not even from her, Dory. 
down in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, is a listener of the show as a podcast. She likes to get the show and, and link in there. So thank you for listening, Dory. Her husband is a, an old roommate of mine uh, from college, a very fine, fine fellow. Um, and uh, so it was nice to hear that news, and I'm really excited. So thank you, Dory, for that. And thank you to all of you that are listening to the program as a podcast. You can head over to ProAmericaReport.com. And you can see many of the segments there. The whole show is also as a podcast at TheAnswerSanDiego.com. But over at ProAmerica, excuse me, over, over at ProAmericaReport.com, you can also sign up for the daily email, which goes out at 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East Coast time. So, Dory, if you're not signed up for the uh, daily email, you want to go over there to ProAmericaReport.com and get signed up there. So I want to make sure to say thank you to her for listening. Okay, what you need to know today. What you need to know today. Well, the basement Biden campaign, you know, there's the they, they, the other presidential candidates. They, they often talk about an incumbent president will run a in the old days, run a Rose Garden campaign, which means they just didn't leave the White House because they had this backdrop and the power and the prestige. And these were mostly described back in the day where traveling was more difficult than it is now with Air Force One and all. But but you thought, well, basement Biden, basement Biden, he's not going to leave the basement. Well, he's starting to leave the basement. And he has to leave the basement. He's having to engage in a campaign. And although it's interesting and somewhat funny and, and not, not really funny, it's kind of sad, too, to compare his um, speech patterns and how he doesn't seem entirely comfortable or well-adjusted. That's a euphemistic way to say he just doesn't seem to have his, his you know, old self. His fastball seems to have slowed. That's all kind of okay, I guess. I mean, it's surprising to me how the media is letting him get away with it. Um, I know enough about sort of early onset dementia and uh, and frailty in old people to know it, he's just not as well as he should be or could be. But that's not necessarily going to be an issue that somebody will cover. Maybe the American people aren't going to care. You know, maybe that's, um, you know, something that they're not going to care. I don't know. But basement, basement Biden has had to come out and embrace some positions. And so he's happily announced a position uh, in the last 40, 36 hours, I guess. And it is the end of the race, as far as I'm concerned. It's the end of the presidential election, if you understand what he said. Joe Biden has said that when he's president, he will seek and find. He didn't say he would wait for congressional action. He said he's going to find a way to give amnesty, citizenship, to all those people who are here illegally. Now, that's at least, according to most estimates, 11 million people. But that's just a lie. Anybody you know in that sort of knows the policy area says it's probably 18 to 22 million people here illegally. They'll all be citizens, Joe Biden. That's his position. What you need to know is as this guy takes his positions, because he has to take his positions from the party that he's running in. He used to be years ago pro-life. He used to be oppose tax dollars for abortion. In the last year, he had to public he had to come out publicly and say he absolutely supports tax dollars for abortion. Now, again, people can change their positions. You know, Donald Trump was once pro-choice. Now he's pro-life. You can see he's pro-life. His policies have been pro-life the whole time. But when he was running for president, he said, I was pro-choice in the past. I'm now pro-life. And if you didn't believe him, you might have doubted. Now he's president. He's done it. Well, Joe Biden... He, he was pro-life early in his career. Now he says he's pro cho- uh, pro-choice, pro-abortion. But forget, even put that one aside. Maybe you don't know what to believe, although yesterday he announced that the little sisters of the poor, the nuns, who had been saying, wait a second, I, we don't want to have to pay for contraception 
in Obamacare because we think that's not fair to us. We have a religious community. We don't believe in it. It's, you know, it's a religious objection. And the Supreme Court said, yes, we accept your religious exception a couple days ago. Joe Biden said yesterday, when I'm president, I'll get rid of that exception. The little sisters of the poor shouldn't have that exception. So these are his positions. And all of them are going to be interesting. They're all going to be important. He has said no more charter schools. He will do everything he can to stop charter schools. Now, some of them are local, so maybe he can't do it. But the Department of Education has a lot of power. And even Obama was for charter schools. So this is more extreme than that. But, but back to the number one, what you need to know is the guy running for president as a Democrat is saying if he has power, he is going to seek ways to give citizenship to 22 million at most, 18 to 22 million illegal aliens in this country. Now, remember, Obama did that with the DACA program with a stroke of his pen, executive order. So I suppose Biden may say, well, I'm going to try to get legislation or whatever. But the tradition now is he's going to do everything he can. That will change America dramatically in many ways. By the way, implicit, although we haven't heard him say it yet, implicit in his description was that he would stop the border enforcement, stop building the wall, stop securing our borders the same way. We haven't heard him say that yet, so I don't want to get too far. But what he clear as a bell made clear to America is his position is the whatever number. He says 11 million. Nobody takes that seriously. 18 million, 22 million illegal aliens that are in this country now will be citizens, will dramatically transform our nation. He's been on the record before saying illegal aliens that are here, 22 million, should get health care paid for by the government, paid for by our tax dollars. He's been on record for that. But now he's on record. Here's what you need to know. This is why it's so important. There's only just over 110 days until the election. It's about 114 days until the election. So we're in the period where he's going to have to put some meat on the bones of the campaign. And until now, it's been 24 hours a day, Donald Trump being attacked by the media and Donald Trump having to act. I'm not saying it's perfect either, by the way. When you're president, you have to do stuff. You have to do this and that, coronavirus, you know, this kind of thing. All these deals kind of work things out. So you're on the hot seat, uh, but you're also benefiting from being the president. You, know, you have the stature of the office. So now we're going to see, and what you need to know is Joe Biden is going to have to make clear what he's actually for. And that's when we, the people, are going to get a look at, really? Because think about who is penalized by 22 million people becoming citizens and more illegal aliens coming. Low-income workers. Everybody agrees with that. It, it disproportionately affects lower-wage workers. It drives down wages for lower-wage workers. It will impact, by, by, it will impact legal immigrants that are Hispanic, it will impact uh, African-American communities dramatically. That's what you need to know. That, this is extreme stuff. Even Obama wouldn't run on that. Even Obama wouldn't run on it. Certainly Bill Clinton didn't run on that. And once those positions are known, I have to tell you, I don't know how he, he puts together a coalition that believes in that future. Because that's transforming America, like he said, but radically so. All right, we'll take a break. We've got some great interviews today. Coming up in a moment, Abigail Schreier, who wrote a book on transgenderism and the craze that's sweeping the nation. You're going to want to hear this interview. She's written a book. It's extraordinary. So we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. 
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, for a few weeks, I've been telling you about it. We've been talking about this book that came out just a few days ago now. I guess last week. It's called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. It's uh, published by Regnery, and I had got an early copy of it. Uh, the author is a woman named Abigail Schreier. She was on the show a month or two ago talking about a column she wrote, I think, uh, on, on Mrs. America and Phyllis Schlafly. But uh, she's a journalist, uh, writes all over the place, and it's a very interesting book. So first of all, Abigail, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing great. So first, how's the book going? I mean, I see lots of coverage of it, lots of reviews, lots of things. How's it going? And in a weird way, in this kind of cancel culture moment, is it is it particularly choppy out there for you? Yeah, I mean, yes, it is. I mean, Amazon's doing it, everything it can to stop people from finding the book. They don't, you know, they've blocked sponsored ads for my publisher, so you have to know the name of the book going in. Um, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, thank God, you know, people are loving the book, so people are telling their friends about it, so sales are good. People are buying this book, and they're, and they're really enjoying it. So I've been, I've been very lucky, you know, the readers seem to really, really find a lot of good in it. Well, and the timing is really good because, of course, the Supreme Court had this ruling a few weeks ago on the civil rights included in their their decision included transgender uh, rights in the in the. And so there's a lot of conversation. But but um, you couldn't you, you write a book. You, you're a Wall Street Journal uh, writer. You know, you, you're you're kind of a, a writer. You're a lawyer, too. How'd you get to this book? And in a way, you know, you've decided to write about something that, you know, ask J.K. Rowling. I mean, you're guaranteed to get a lot of a lot of hot response from people. So how'd you, why'd you write this and how did it come about? So this is not a book about the transgender movement. It's not a political book. I wrote it. Um, I wasn't particularly necessarily interested in this at all, except that a reader wrote to me and she said to me, this happened to my daughter. She got caught up in this craze. There are parents just like me all across the country whose daughters did not seem to have traditional or typical gender dysphoria, that is discomfort, severe discomfort in one's biological sex. She was totally fine until she got on social media, indoctrinated in these videos, and decided with her friends that they were all transgender and they now are going on hormones and surgeries. And I tried to get another journalist, investigative journalist, to take this up, and I couldn't. So when I, I failed to find someone who, who wanted to take this up, I finally got back in touch with her and I said, all right, tell me your stories. And I found that she was, she was absolutely right. This is going on all across the country. In fact, it's going on all across the Western world, the United Kingdom, Canada, Scandinavia, it's all across the West. And these parents are finding out of nowhere that their teenage daughters are looking to escape womanhood and they're being given the drugs and surgeries to do it. It's um, again, we're talking with Abigail Shire and her book is just out. And, and so is the response. I know you said Amazon's been uh, been sort of uh, pushing back on it. And, and by the way, Schreier, I, always, I mispronounce your name a number of times. I'm sorry. No, it's great. Um, Amazon's pushing <laughs> Amazon's pushing back on you. But are you also getting like a writer does uh, responses from people that are saying, hey, I'm glad you wrote this. I needed to have someone who wrote this. I mean, tell me about those those responses. I get parent calls every single day. I get emails every day saying to me, my, my, I'm a progressive. I live in a progressive community. My schools won't stop pushing this gender ideology. They were acknowledged, they were calling my daughter a boy for a year without, without even notifying me. I, when I try to talk to friends about it, they call me a transphobe. I'm afraid of losing my job if I have anything to say. And so they're very grateful that someone's willing to just speak the truth, which is that there is a social contagion going on. Teenage girls are caught up in it, and their mental health is deteriorating as a result. 
They are not being improved by surgeries or hormones. They're getting worse. Now, you, 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 let me ask you this question, because I mentioned to you off the air that my wife, we got an early copy, and again, we're talking with Abigail Schreier, and her book is called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And I, um, my wife, when she read it, when you finished, and, and in here you referred to the transgender craze, and my wife said to me, and I'm putting my words in my wife, but she said it, I'm just going to say, she said, boy, Ed, some of it just sounds like a cult. It sounds like you're welcomed in and, and you're, you're, you're felt to, and I don't, my wife didn't mean it as a scientific definition, and she loved the book, by the way, but she meant that it, there's sort of something about this whole thing that is moving people along in a way that's really not only unhealthy, but sort of um, manipulative broadly, and, and it's happening to children. And so is the, I know you said you didn't write it as a political book, and you didn't write it as, you know, you're not writing about the sort of morality, you're describing what's happening. But there's a part of this that's really haunting when you read it. I think it is haunting. And uh, cult is a word that parents use very, very often, and even detransitioners, people who regret their transition, they tend to use. And the reason they use it is because there's a tremendous amount of online pressure to cut off your parents. So one of the things that happens, look, I would not have written this book if these young women were transitioning to the opposite sex or, or at least the appearance of the opposite sex and, and leading wonderful, happy, healthy lives. Unfortunately, because they don't suffer real gender dysphoria and they are not being helped by this, they, their mental health often deteriorates. And one of the things that, that you see in this population is they are very often in cutting off their entire families because they're really aggressively encouraged to do so online. The moment a parent doesn't call you by your new name or call you by your new pronouns, there's a tremendous amount of community pressure to say those parents are toxic, cut them off. Mm-hmm. That's the other part of this that's a funny thing. I, I have a friend of mine, it's a little different experience, but a friend of mine who's, who's – um, um, son got into drugs so it's very different i'm not comparing them except to say that at a certain point the young man was old enough that he could claim to be his own person he wasn't yet 18 so he wasn't fully emancipated but in a lot of places you can go and say with enough oomph if you say it to the courts and others you say i i'm decided this is for who i am in this case it was a drug addiction and it ended up costing the kid his life you know he od'd but the parent I, my friend was describing there was nothing we could do like there were in in the world we live in now a 16 year old 17 year who says this is who i am they're going to get a lot of institutional if not legal support and you kind of lose your children i mean that's a thing that's also sort of hard to understand in this moment yes that's exactly what's happening so remember they do go on a drug testosterone and it does deliver a euphoria and in fact they're able to get it very easily they're celebrated by the culture and at least with drug addiction we recognize it as a problem but here unfortunately people are bringing politics into it and they consider it a civil rights issue to agree with a young 16 year old girl or 18 year old girl's self-diagnosis without even a therapist's note they will give her at a Planned Parenthood clinic, they will give her testosterone. She signs a form and she walks out that day. So, you know, it, it is a drug. It's a very serious drug with very serious consequences. And the, so the question is, is at the end of the book, and, and, and I, don't, um, I don't remember it well enough, and I'm, I'm looking to find it on my desk, but I'll ask you so you can tell me. I remember the late Phyllis Schlafly, she told me, she wrote a book called uh, Who Killed the American Family? And she went through all these chapters describing lots of what happened. And one of the things I like a lot about your uh, book, uh, Abigail, is that is when you, you have a lot of stories. These are the stories you, you voice other people's experience, whether it's parents or the, or the young people. And again, it's Abigail Schreier, and her book is Irreversible Damage, out on Regnery Book. 
books. You can find it by searching by name of it, unfortunately, I guess, on Amazon. But um, the Phyllis, when she finished that book, Who Killed the American Family, the last chapter, she came to my office once. She said, OK, I've got all the problems. Who killed the American family now? How do we fix it? Right. And what is the what is the future that you see now? I know you're not a policymaker, but predicting what could be the best for our flourishing and for young girls, young women, what, what do you think is the best way forward? There, there are a few things. Number one, we have to get our kids off social media. It is toxic and it is harming our young girls so acutely. They are never able to escape the constant comparison of their bodies and, and, and constant cruel comments online that is driving them up, up rates of anxiety, suicide, depression, and it is, it is in introducing them to really bad influences um, because there are so many transgender you, you know, YouTube and Instagram stars who can't wait to tell them that all their problems will be cured by testosterone. Um, so that's one mm-hmm. thing we have to do. Another thing we have to do is we have to remind our daughters how wonderful it is to be a woman. We haven't told them this. We've allowed this narrative that it's some sort of victim status to occur. That's wrong. It's a lie. It's a wonderful thing to be a woman, and these girls have to know it. It's interesting you say that. I'm just, and I'm not bragging, but I'm sort of bragging. I, my daughter's 16, and you know now she's a young woman, I guess, and it's just a, like an alien to me because I'm not a woman, and and I'm not, and I don't know what it means. to 16, you know, she was a little girl for forever. Now she's, and I just actually said to her, I made a no, point of sending her something saying uh, how impressed I was with how she did. She's a, a, a end of her sophomore year, and my wife was saying how that was good, and it was important for me. But my wife was saying sort of what you're saying, come from the book. Okay, but Abigail, let me get back to this. Is it a craze? You write in here, it's an irreversible damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters. How is it growing? It feels like it's growing in our face, in our, you know, cultural face in the last year or two. Is it stopping? Is it going forward? Is it how? Why is such a small group of people? Yeah. Why is such a small group of people being, you know, there's not that many that claim this and yet it's sort of dominating us. It, it, It is growing, huh? Right. It's exploding. And the reason is, is because young teenage girls are going online. They're going on social media. They're indoctrinating themselves with these videos. And then they're coming out as transgender with their friends. They are going to schools in which gender ideology is pushed very, very hard. I I talk about this in my book. And they're convincing themselves that this is their problem. And they are rushing and no one is stopping them. And I interview young, one young woman in my book who told, you know, who told her story about how, how hard she was pushed by her schools, by her therapist, by her doctors even, to accept her dysphoria. And everything would be better if she just transitioned. And she did. She got a double mastectomy and went on testosterone. The testosterone caused all kinds of uterine cramping. And she ended up with a hysterectomy. And when she, oh after her hysterectomy, she realized she never should have gone down this path and it hadn't made her any bit happier. Hmm. Wow. Well, Abigail Schreier, I'm sorry to say it's probably really important. I mean, it's great you wrote the book because you're smart and talented and the book is Irreversible Damage. I'm sorry that we're in the middle of this craze because it does seem like it's not getting lessened and it's more. uh, But at least we have a tool now to look at this book. The book, again, is Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters. Abigail Schreier, thank you for the time and thanks for writing the book and best wishes with all of you. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Thanks very much, Abigail Schreier. All right. We will take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, One of the great, one of the only good things to come out of this stupid, amazing, terrible 
Russia hoax and the disaster for our country that happened to General Flynn is I became friends with Joe Flynn, who's General Flynn's brother, and also General Flynn and his wife, Lori, and my wife and I. They're wonderful, incredible, inspiring people, kind of classic American people. In fact, later on in the show, I told you I will talk about the birthday of General Jack Singlob, the great general who is a friend of General Flynn's. He turns 99 tomorrow. But uh, it's just, you meet the people like this, the Flynn family, you're like, oh, America's great because we got all these people. So Joe Flynn joins us today, and uh, Joe's going to fill us in on what the newest insanity in his brother's case is and otherwise catch up. So, Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, Ed. Doing well. Uh, Doing a little bit better than we were doing yesterday. I was a little bit angry yesterday with the outcome of... uh, of what came out, um, you know, we're still in this. As a lot, of, a lot of people had reached out when they heard the DOJ dropped the charges, and then they heard that the mandamus was uh, was issued. And I keep telling people, you know, there's nothing to congratulate yet because we're not done yet, and we're certainly not done yet, uh, based on what yeah. uh, what transpired yesterday. So, here well, we and so let's, let me let me fill let me fill fill in our listeners on the facts of this. So the case at this point, the case, the judge in the Mike Flynn case, the General Flynn case, was told by his superiors, which is the Court of Appeals. He was told, "You must let the case go." And instead of doing that, he then appealed and said, "Wait, can I have one last ditch effort to look at this?" And I'll, I'll file this lengthy ninety-page brief saying why you shouldn't do this. And and so then today. Uh, the court said, well, we'll take a brief from General Flynn and from the, the Department of Justice, 10 pages each in, I think, 10 days to, before we make a judgment, meaning, you know, I guess they're hearing from everybody. But the point here is it should be over. Everybody in the thing has said it's over. There's no way it's going to happen, but you're still stuck in the system. And so it's, it's kind of like the worst of all worlds. Um, uh, Joe, let me first ask you uh, about this. A lot of people ask me, General Flynn's been through all this is he is the legal defense fund still going can you tell us about you know where to go so people yeah. can chip in yeah. because i know it's he's a general generals have nice yeah. retirement but they're never rich generals are never rich That's their right. retirement is like normal pay so tell us about right. that and make make give us a sense that he's doing he and his family are stable and well yeah well first off we are stable and well and we're and we're used to this we were not surprised by uh judge sullivan's reaction him wanting what they call an en banc review which, you know, is, is basically calling out, uh, trying to ask that not just the panel that already issued the writ of mandamus, but all the rest of the judges on the appeals court weigh in on this, which, again, lengthens this thing. Uh, what happened today was they, they said Sydney and the government have until July 20th to respond, which, of course, this was supposed to be over on the 16th of July. So it extends it. I mean, we're going to be it's going to be looks like it's still going to be a long, hot summer with with all of this. Um, so our legal defense fund is still super important to us. Uh, you can find it at www.mikeflindefensefund.org. And, you know, we've been incredibly blessed by, you know, literally thousands of patriots around the country that have given small donations and really kept us, uh, kept us alive through this whole thing. And uh, it's just been an incredibly humbling and, and uh, amazing thing that, to get that support. Yeah, so um, we're talking with Joe Flynn, uh, the brother of General um, uh, Mike Flynn, and Joe himself is a an executive as in business and and does a bunch of things. He's his younger brother though, so he's not nearly as old as as Mike. Don't tell Mike I'm saying that. But uh, and uh, Joe, <laughs> well, he Joe, a lot, he looks uh, a lot younger than me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You know, he looks like he he looks like he was president of the United States. If you see a picture of Mike Flynn on the day he goes into the White House in in January 2017, and today he looks like he, he I'm sorry, I love him, but he looks older. You know, it's taking it's taking a toll in terms of that. But it would on anybody. Yeah, it would on anybody. You know. 
Um, So, Joe, tell us... yeah, tell us what you see. You're the brother, but you're you're in this. You're very close to your brother and the legal team. What yeah. do you see that we've now seen publicly, you know, put out there these documents and things? And you know, I I know we're all frustrated. A lot of people listening are frustrated. But tell us some of the details here. Well, another thing happened today. If people were paying attention, that the F, the um, FBI had once again given Sydney more exculpatory information, which became unsealed today, and it showed. Once again, that the FBI had written him off as a as an agent of Russian collusion, had pa- basically said, you know, he didn't lie in any of his interviews. All of this information was with, withheld from him prior to pleading guilty. So the more time goes on, actually, the worse it looks for Judge Sullivan, because more exculpatory information comes out, which Sidney had asked for late last year, and he denied. So it just it just it's really bizarre what's going on here it's really a constitutional crisis at this point you've got the executive branch saying there is no case and there is no controversy and we're dropping the charges you've got the defendant saying okay we accept that and the court meaning judge sullivan's court is holding this whole case hostage for no good reason and it's very difficult and it's and it's unnecessary and i think it's bad for america i really do you know, uh, one of the things, though, that is, I, I said to um, uh, on the phone earlier today, I had a call from someone we were talking about this. It, it, I hate to say this, and there's no way this is worth it, but there is a there is this benefit to the process. The kinds of documents that are regularly being released now, there were some that came out, I think, earlier today or late yesterday that are the handwritten yeah. notes that show yeah. that the FBI had decided there wasn't a case, that they were just and, – and, and then all these other things, these sort of uh, – the Biden uh, in the Oval Office, Biden suggesting yeah. use the yeah. Logan Act, and, and, and yeah. all that stuff would have disappeared if the case had been dropped or if they had accepted a, a plea – and they would have sealed up the boxes and gone away. And in some twisted way, this has led to what is the exposing of, of the, the most, uh, I mean, really diabolical efforts to tie up the presidency and General Mike Flynn. It's hard to feel good about that, but that's true. And you, you must be like looking at these documents and thinking, how can it be that they tried to do this in the face of everything that they had in their possession? Well, I tell you what, what's sad and infuriating about this is all this information has come out, particularly showing that Joe Biden and, and Barack Obama were, were very involved in the, in the persecution of General Flynn, in the hunting of General Flynn, in the setup of General Flynn, and not one person in the mainstream media has asked Joe Biden that question or Barack Obama the question, what did, what, what were, are you, you know, what did you know about setting up General Flynn? Joe Biden denied it, and then it came out after he denied it that he specifically asked for the Logan Act. Now, this is important because, remember now, this is the peaceful transition of power between one administration and the next duly elected administration that they were actively trying to sabotage, actively trying to sabotage. And this guy's running for president of the United States right now against Donald Trump. This is a serious problem that really needs to be addressed, and I hope to God it does by somebody in the press, especially during these debates. Hopefully, if there's debates. 
Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, the press is starting to ramp up to protect uh, Joe Biden from the debates. Um, okay, Joe, uh, let me ask you, Joe, we're talking with Joe Flynn, the brother of uh, General, uh, General Mike Flynn. You know, I, I suspect but don't know that the Flynn family was, I don't know, political enough. I've heard stories of your mother being a great pro-lifer mm-hmm. and a great pro-life mm-hmm. Democrat in Rhode Island, you know, that old classic Irish, uh, you yeah. know, kind of family. Uh, but I don't know if you were, if you all were partisan, like involved in politics much, but now you got all these brothers and sisters of yours. You see what's happened to your brother. It, it, are people more, are your, is your family more committed to uh, being in the fray politically or like saying, hey, the system's out? I mean, t- I don't mean just you. I know no. you're fighting and, and so is the general, yeah. but your sister yeah. and your brothers and all. What do you think? What should you tell us about yeah, that? I mean, listen, we still have some people in uniform, so they have to be neutral, obviously. Um, uh, but uh, no, I would say that we're way more motivated than we ever were. To be in the to be in the fray. What's nice about it is that we've got eight siblings, as you know, and with a large family, a lot of people have large families, and you know, half of them are Democrats, or half of them are Republicans, or some of them are this and some are that. In our family's case, we're very united in our in our number one in our support for President Trump and his agenda, and number two in our disgust with what has happened to the party that we were that we were members of for for many years. My mother, as you mentioned, was a very active pro-life Democrat back in the day with the Ray Flynn's of the world, you know, Mayor Boston, you know, that whole wing of the Democratic Party has completely disappeared because the Democrats are unrecognizable now. They really have kowtowed to the Marxists. And that disgusts us, uh, quite honestly, to see what has happened to the Democratic Party, the party that we were affiliated with for for many years, like a lot of Irish Catholics in the Northeast. Um, And so now I would say we are way more motivated to, to fight against that because it really comes down to the future of this country and what direction this country is going to go in. Uh, and, and, and we certainly don't want it to go in the direction that Joe Biden and his ilk are pushing right now. Yeah, it's, it's certainly one to worry about. All right, Joe Flynn, say one more time that website for the Defense Fund, please. Yes, it is. MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. That's MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. And certainly appreciate everybody's support. And I want to say God bless all of you. And God bless America. All right. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. Joe Flynn. We'll uh, put it up on social media and uh, keep an eye on uh, what's going on and, and keep everybody informed. We'll do it. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a big fight for the future. I'm just I hope and pray that it's over soon. So, okay, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in one minute. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. COVID-19 has done many things to American society, but it has not invalidated the United States Constitution. Article 1, Section 5, Clause 1 clearly states that when it comes to Congress, Quote, a majority shall constitute a quorum to do business, end quote. This means members have to actually be present for Congress to pass legislation. However, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her Democrat cohorts don't care about what the Constitution says. They passed an unconstitutional rules change to allow voting by proxy and virtual hearings on legislation for the House of Representatives. Each member physically present can carry 10 other proxy votes for members who aren't present. This isn't just unconstitutional, it's downright dangerous. Why would we ever want to give 20 people the power to pass congressional legislation? 
The legislative branch is tasked with writing the laws because they are the branch most directly representing the people. How can you have real representation of the entire U.S. population by just 20 Democrats? It's completely absurd. Our founding fathers would have never wanted anything like this. You've probably guessed by now that the COVID-19 outbreak is the excuse Democrats are using for this unprecedented change. Yet this should have been a moot point from the beginning. Pelosi didn't roll out this rules change until the nation started opening back up again. Besides, it's not like this is the first time our nation has faced a real crisis. From the Spanish flu of 1918 to 9-11, Congress has never faced an emergency so great that we've had to suspend the most sacred traditions of our republic. If you want to know how seriously Democrats are taking proxy voting, just take a look at their actions. Two members of Congress voted by proxy, citing concerns about COVID-19. But they traveled to the launch of the SpaceX rocket just two days later. Clearly, this is a downward spiral with no good end. Our nation is a constitutional republic for a reason. Congress should reclaim the Constitution by rejecting proxy voting. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Hey, I want to tell you something today. This is, a, this is just this whole segment. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes talking about one man, okay? And I want you to know this because tomorrow is his birthday. He was born on July 11th, and tomorrow he will be 99 years old. General Major General John K. Singlab, and his name is, he went by Jack, General Jack Singlab, and he's retired U.S. Army general, extraordinary life, wonderful man. I'm privileged to know him well and, and consider him a friend. It's just extraordinary. And he wrote a book called Hazardous Duty. And he, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you, will, um, if you want to get a copy of it, we have, we have some copies that are digital copies that we can send out. We got some produced because when he wrote this book in the 1980s, and I'll tell you more about him in a second, it's called Hazardous Duty, An American Soldier in the 20th Century. Now, John, Jack Singlob, as a boy growing up, his mother made him study French. When he went to uh, college, he couldn't get into the military academy because he wanted to, but because his father was a, a, a worker for the county and it was the wrong party. Uh, I forget which party it was. So he went to UCLA and at UCLA, he studied Japanese. And then he went into the army. This is in the early 1940s. And he ended up being a Jedberg, which the Jedbergs were uh, parachute uh, guys that jumped behind enemy lines in France in groups of three, and they ran undercover the French resistance. And of the like 300 of them, half of them were killed when they were discovered, and he did not die, obviously, and he ran. So he was a founding member of the OSS, it was called. It later became the CIA, and so he was a hero right there. And remember I told you he studied French when he was a boy? 
Well, he, he, he studied uh, Japanese when he was in school and college. And so he ended up, as soon as the war ended in France, in Europe, he was sent by the, the U.S. military to go into Japan because he spoke Japanese. In other words, he had done everything he could to be prepared to be as valuable as he could to America. When he gets to Japan, he's getting ready for the invasion of Japan. That's what everybody was getting ready to do when they dropped the atomic bomb and the war is ending, except he then had to go and liberate uh, prisoners of war. And the Japanese camps where they held, I think it was mostly Australians and Dutch prisoners, they were the, the Japanese were notoriously unwilling to stop the war. They were really, even though they were, you know, they, they're told the war's over. They were so it was really tough. And he had to liberate these camps. Then the war ends, comes back to America, ends up work, serving in Korea, serving in Vietnam, serving during the Cold War, serving down in Latin America, helping. You know, Ali North and that crew got a lot of attention because they got caught. Well, General Jack Singlob, who was who was. Uh, uh, and out of the military at the time was the guy that was actually doing lots of good to help freedom in that part of the world. He's an extraordinary hero, General Jack Singlop. It's his birthday. He's wonderful to be with. He's funny. He lives down in Tennessee now. He's just an extraordinary American hero. And his book, Hazardous Duty, An American Soldier in the 20th Century, 20, 20th century is extraordinary. If you think about it, when I tell you he was a soldier from about 1940, 41, all the way through to the late 80s into the 90s. It's the most extraordinary period in American history. And he was a hero in every part of that, all those different places. Now, he did, even more famously, <laughs> get fired by Carter because he said Carter's policies with regard to Korea were a dumb idea. And he said giving up the Panama Canal was a dumb idea, both which was true. And Carter was the president at the time. And that just became the time for him to retire. But that's neither here nor there. It's actually, that's a wonderful uh, badge of honor. And I won't tell on the radio the story that uh, General Singlob told me about being summoned to Jimmy Carter's Oval Office and what it was said. It was a, it was a, a benign enough, but I'm not sure he gave me the right to tell the story on the air. So what a wonderful man. And here's the thing. These these idiots that talk about what's wrong with America. John Jack Singlob came from he didn't came, come from any big wealth or anything. He didn't come from a big family, you know, like a famous family, moneyed family. He's the he's the quintessential American hero. And he did it like so many Americans did. When America produces men like Jack Singlob, we got nothing to worry about. And so happy birthday, General Singlob. If you want to learn more about him, you can email me directly. My email is out there, ed at, ed at, excuse me, ed at edmartinlive.com. People will send me an email. I'll send you more about General Jack Singlob. Happy birthday, General. And uh, his wife, Joan, is extraordinary. His daughter is wonderful. Just an extraordinary family. What a blessing on America. So happy birthday, have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you to Todd filling in today for Noah and Joanna for helping book the show. And we will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back Monday.